It's 5 o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. <laughs> hit the door and hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! Oh, my goodness! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. <laughs> Welcome in to the Thursday edition of the Patrick Johnson Show as we get set to lead you into basketball coverage between the East Carolina Pirates and the Wichita State Shockers. I'm Philip Pilkington filling in for the P-Man today as uh, Patrick is already over inside Williams Arena Menji's Coliseum for tonight's contest. Be sure to tune in right here on 94.3 The Game or our sister station 107.9 for tonight's game. Network coverage will start at 6.30 for that 702 tip if you're unable to make it out to the arena. Rest of the weekend schedule on our networks looks like this. We'll have a special lead-in edition of the Patrick Johnson Show into Pirate Baseball tomorrow at 3 o'clock, 345. Scott Rogers and Coach O will go on the air for that opening day game against the Ryder Bronx, as Trey Savage will be getting the opening day start for the East Carolina Pirates. Saturday, it all happens at 2 o'clock. That means a 1.45 airtime right here on 94.3 The Game. Sunday, little weird. 107.9 will have our normal beat shows. Therefore, 94.3 The Game, starting at 1.30 for that 2 o'clock tip, we'll have East Carolina and Tulane. Our sister station, Talk 103.7, will have the baseball broadcast. First pitch for that one is scheduled just after 1 o'clock. We are going to talk some basketball here in our first segment, as well as in our third when we'll be joined by Brian Mole, basketball writer. We'll talk about pirate basketball and beyond with him. And in our second segment, we will be joined by Scott Shook, as he is live from the Daytona International Speedway, the World Center of Racing, for t- ahead of tonight's blue-green duels to set the starting lineup for the Daytona 500. I am joined today by Dom Kosolke behind the glass as well as intern William. How's it going, Dom? What's up, Philip? I'm doing great today. Ready to talk about some ECU basketball. He sounds pumped, ladies and gentlemen. And as we sit here and talk about ECU basketball, it was a rough little stretch for them. They lost three in a row. They came back. They put up a phenomenal offense performance down in San Antonio over this past weekend, defeating the Roadrunners 84-73, to the most points the Pirates had scored since November the 21st against Kennesaw State when they put up 85. This team has struggled offensively, but when they get it going, they've been unstoppable. Can they do it tonight? It's going to be tough. This Wichita State team, despite having a pretty rough record coming in at 10-14 and 14 on the season and just 2-9 and nine in league play, has been playing a lot better since the Pirates last saw them. The, fi- the game following the game against the Pirates, they defeated the SMU Mustangs 77-72. to They do have a later win against UTSA. They've only won two of their last five, but they put up a tough fight against FAU last time out, actually putting the 20th-ranked Owls in overtime. It ended up falling in that one 95-82 after being just blown out in the extra period. So, gentlemen, I ask you, we will start with Dom, 
Are you back on board with this pirate program? They're like a toxic relationship. They tick us off. We're ready to leave. And then right as we are about to give up on the season, they go up and put a phenomenal offensive performance up. They're playing Wichita, who they are ahead of against ahead of in the standings tonight. Same thing on um, Sunday when they take on Tulane. They're ahead of Tulane in the standings. The next Saturday, they're going to place the Rice Owls, another team which they are ahead of in the standings. And they're 5-0 and this year against teams that they currently rank higher than in the American Athletic Conference. Well, I am really excited about tonight, but it's because I really like basketball. ECU basketball, I'm not sold on as much anymore. I had really high expectations for the season, but it just seems like we're too inconsistent. Brandon Johnson could go for 30 like he did last game, and then the next game have a three-point game and not play as much. He had seemed to battle some injuries so far this season and even trying to play through some in Charlotte, but I, I don't think that it's it's us anymore. I'm ready for ECU baseball. We're always top dogs in that, and I'm ready to go to Omaha in ECU ba- baseball. Sounds like Dom is throwing in the towel when it comes to basketball season and is fully ready for baseball season. I like that he said that we're going to Omaha. Earlier today, Stephen Igo said we weren't. Also, Jonathan Wagner said we weren't. However, me – Scott Rogers and Scott Lorbacher are more on the trend of the Pirates going to Omaha here in 2024. So now we're going to bring in our intern, William. William, is are you still on this Pirate bandwagon when it comes to basketball, or are you just ready for 4 o'clock tomorrow? Now, note before I let him talk, he is a very biased baseball guy as it is. He's in there quoting stats from the 1940s. Baseball is definitely his sport, so I have a prediction as to what he might say, but honestly, the Pirates could probably be undefeated in basketball, and he'd still say the same thing. All right, I do love Pirate basketball, and I love watching you. I'm going to the game tonight, and I want to see them win, but I think as all ECU fans are like, we like seeing that ranked number next to our name at sports, and that's something that we have at baseball. So I think everybody's looking forward to baseball season. And while basketball season might not have gone as we wanted it to or as we expected, we have high hopes for baseball and hopefully want to have a shot at Omaha. Well, at least the consensus in the room does seem like we are not totally giving up on pirate basketball. You can never blame pirate fans for being excited for baseball. And I don't think that's a knock on the basketball team as much as it's just a credit to Coach Godwin, Coach Palumbo, AK, the rest of the staff, and the team that we've seen. Obviously, Coach Godwin will start his 10th year on at the helm of the pirate program tomorrow, and he has done a wonderful job there so that's that i think that's the big reason that we're so excited for baseball unfortunately basketball hasn't been you know what we wanted it but i think you know i think dom's back on the mic now so i ask you dom look we've seen it time and time again in this conference this year anybody can beat anybody on any given night and i know that sounds cliche but seriously this is one of the more competitive conferences in the country so i don't see any games you know, looking at the rest of the schedule for East Carolina that I'm going to go in just marking down as a loss automatically. I mean, I know we still have to play Memphis on February 29th, but the Memphis Tigers have struggled against teams below them in the standings as well. I think we're right there with every team, and it feels like after every win, ECU is, you know, that's kind of what you're asking right now. It feels like, are we back? Is there a chance that we finally put it together? Because we have all the pieces we want. We have some depth coming back with Quentin DeBunjay coming out of injury, Jaden Walker off the bench. I guess we don't always know who's coming off the bench with Schwartz. Ezra Asar has come off the bench for a few games. I don't know exactly what he's thinking with the lineups. I'm not criticizing them, <laughs> but I, I don't know if we're ever going to get in a, in a rhythm 
as a group and go out and win conference games consistently if we're changing the the lineup every week. Yeah, I think unfortunately it's not really a knock on shorts as much as just no one really other than R.J. Felton and Brandon Johnson have emerged to play consistent basketball. Obviously, Jaden Walker was hurt early in the year, and much like last year, we're seeing once he is healthy and gets in his full groove, he is performing outstandingly with 13 assists last time out. That is a great number in the NBA and an even more impressive number at the collegiate ranks. So now we're going to talk about the opponent a little bit, the Wichita State Shockers. As mentioned, they've won two of their last last five yet not great but for a team that started very abysmally in conference play the first time the Pirates saw them they had not even won a conference game this is a team under a first year head coach that I think is finally getting it figured out when you look at the guys who are top seven on their team in scoring they are either juniors or seniors this is a team despite struggles has not seemed to turn on each other we're going to talk to Brian Mole about this later but as bad as it's been, especially for a program with such great history, a team that has been to the NCAA tournament of recent years and made noise in the NCAA tournament, um, that's not what they're used to in Wichita. They're not used to struggling this way, but I think this team has stayed together. It's something that's very tough to do, but it's something that Pirate fans know very well after what we witnessed this fall with the football record not being where it was, but the team still seemed to be very much together. And I think that's the thing that you can say about this Wichita State team. You know, they upset SMU. They took FAU to the wire where they lost in overtime so they've proven that they can go up there and they have the tenacity to go up there and play with anybody so if the Pirates are not firing on all cylinders tonight this is one that could jump up and bite them however I would really be disappointed if this happens I think this team has found their footing I think not having a conference bye at any point until last week in the midweek was starting to take its toll on this roster I think the team was tired and Coach Schwartz talked about it going into that bye, how they just need some time just to get shots up and just watch the ball go in the basket and not necessarily be in a practice setting, something they had not been able to do, but it was something they were able to do heading into that UTSA game a week ago. However, ironically, the one guy who did not get any shots up was Brandon Johnson. He dealt with a hip pointer again in the game against Charlotte, which Dom mentioned earlier, and he missed Monday and Tuesday of practice that week, which was really the time when a lot of guys were just practicing on their own and getting shots up but he looked phenomenal in the game dropping a career high 30 points we will see what the pirates do tonight though they uh as mentioned and we probably won't have much time to preview the Tulane green wave game tomorrow just because it's our only show we're gonna be wrapping this up and previewing baseball for the weekend but they welcome in a tough Tulane team on Sunday this green wave team comes in four and seven in league play but don't let that record fool you they can shoot the basketball they've scored 90 plus eight times already this season and this is a team much like UTSA that relies on offense has a tough, doesn't really have a very good defense, so the Pirates will probably have to do what they did last weekend in order to be successful against Tulane. However, I do believe Tulane is a little bit tougher than UTSA. So we are going to get our first time out here on the Thursday edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. On the other side, we will be joined by Scott Shook live from Daytona. And stay with us here on the Thursday edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. You ready for this? Oh, I'm very ready. Okay, ready? You ready? Streaming to the world at 943thegame.com. This is the Patrick Johnson Show. Now in all his glory, here's the P-Man. 
Welcome back into our Thursday edition of the Patrick Johnson Show as we get ready for Daytona 500 week. And we are joined live from the World Center of Racing by Scott Shook. Shook, how's it going, man? We're actually right outside the World Center racing at the comfy confines of the Quality Inn on International Speedway Boulevard. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm pumped. I'm awesome. I'm ready for tonight. And I do have a bone to pick with you because you are down in Daytona and I am not. What happened to our Hendrick Chevrolets last night? We are not sitting on the front row. Your boy Chase Elliott didn't do it. My boy William Byron didn't do it. Old reliable Alex Bowman, who's been on the front row for the last six Daytona 500s, qualified like 25th. What the heck happened last night? How many of those Daytona 500s did Hendrick win? Uh, none of them. We hadn't won since 2014. There you go. All right. So Ford's, Ford's proved they could run run all fast by themselves, but his Daytona 500 is not running running by yourself, as you know that. you got to get up front the last 20 laps of the race and, and bring it home, which unfortunately I think this year may in fact be on Monday night, but we'll see. Weather doesn't look great, but the weather's good right now. Going to head into the twin qualifying races this evening and try to watch ECU basketball on the cell phone while I watch racing in front of me. So. Hey, you got it. And, and by the way, is that where Prima Don is tonight? Is he over at Menji's? Yeah, he is. He's over at Menji's already. Okay. God bless I Seymour. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I couldn't agree with that more. I love it. Well, you know, you mentioned the weather. Unfortunately, it doesn't look good for Sunday. Doesn't really look good for tomorrow either. Xfinity qualifying could get rained out, but I'm at least glad you guys yeah. are enjoying a little bit of the good weather. Uh, yesterday and today, but it looked a little cold last night. I saw Jamie Little bundled up. Is it is it supposed to be chilly down there tonight? It's a little chilly. I mean, the sun goes down, the wind blows off the ocean. It's not necessarily warm, but um, I think tomorrow night's going to be good. We're going to get a good truck race in, which traditionally, and I've been to every truck race at Daytona going all the way back to 2000 when they first ran the trucks here. Truck race is typically the best race of the weekend, and uh, not only this, this, uh, this week is uh, ECU's own uh, Rebecca Moffitt's son is racing in the truck series uh, this weekend, so um, that, that'll be fun to see. So we'll have some petty lineage in the race again uh, on the truck series. But, yeah, Saturday and Sunday look a little rough. Sunday, there may be a chance to get the track dyed out right Sunday evening to get it in, but weather looks tough over the weekend. So we'll see. But uh, we got another crowd. Got a good crowd from uh, uh, Greenville here. We've got some other folks on a boat trying to make it up and, We'll see if they make it, and if they do, we'll all have a good time no matter what. Well, hopefully uh, the races do live up to expectations, and good luck to Thad Moffitt in his uh, truck series. I think this will be his first truck series race ever at Daytona. I know he has ran some truck series races. He was all but full-time in the Arkham Menard series back in 2020, but has bounced around and not really had a full ride, it seems like, since then. But he will be full-time in the truck series this season, obviously that being the grandson of Richard Petty. That's going to be exciting. And, and, and look, the, the truck race always is like, they go fast, almost fast as cup cars, and half of them can't drive. So it's, it's fun to watch them try to get around the super speedway doing that. Um, but uh, that, we look forward to that. And I look forward to seeing we might sneak in the infield over there and see if we can't, see if we can't meet up with them and see them tomorrow. So it, that's going to be, uh, that's going to be exciting, sure. And, and, um, and but it, you know, we'll, we'll see how the weekend, every year with Daytona, it's, there's some kind of thing, something happens, some kind of drama happens. And even if it takes on Monday, that's fine. We're going to stay down and call in sick on Tuesday. So don't tell anybody. 
<laughs> I won't. My dad told me he's down there. He's worried that he would not be able to call in sick Tuesday. So he's praying for that Sunday start. And he's bad luck. He was there when Juan Pablo hit the jet dryer, which was the first time it was ever ran on Monday. And he was also there in 2020. He's only been to four or five yeah. Daytona 500s, but 2020 was the second time the race had ever been ran on Monday. That was well, my first that? Daytona 500, but I got to see Trump. So that part was cool. Yeah, well, we were here and the guy that's here with me tonight today, Mike Lindsay, he last time he came was twenty twenty as well. So Oof. I thought it was his fault, but it turns out it's your dad's fault. Yep, so. we'll definitely blame my dad. So speaking of that drama, I think the drama's tonight, Shook. Seven time champion Jimmy Johnson is gonna have to race his way into the field. When you look at the opening cars, Fast Pasta, Anthony Alfredo is already in on time. So is David Reagan, who will be making, I believe, his seventeenth Daytona five hundred start. However, the seven time champion, arguably the greatest of this generation, Jimmy Johnson, is not. Do you see him racing his way in tonight in duel number one? And are you excited for the drama that is about to unfold? at just after 7 o'clock down in Daytona Beach. When normally you talk about Jimmy Johnson, you talk about a Chevrolet, Chevrolet's being fast, but Toyotas last night weren't very fast, and Jimmy Johnson's running a Toyota this year, interestingly enough. So we'll see. But i, I got to think, you know, you get down towards the end if he really wants it. I, you know, as long as they don't have a mistake, right, you don't have a mistake on pit road. And Typically these races the last couple of years have been a little bit calm because not a lot of people are racing in, but you never know. What happens? You got to get through the field, and you got to have a pit stop in these twin 150s. So you know, you got to execute. But if he's in it towards the end, I'm sure he'll be there, and I'm sure he'll qualify. But you know, you never know if he has a problem on pit road or something else goes wrong. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, you mentioned the Toyotas being slow. The first one or the second one? He's in the first one. First one. Okay, good. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned the Toyotas not having speed. They had no one in the top 10 uh, last night. They didn't have anybody in the top 10 last year either. Uh, Bubba Wallace qualified 11th. He was the highest Toyota last year. I'm trying to pull up this year's and my, uh, my Which, computer. By the way, down here wonky. breaks no one's heart, by the way. You understand? <laughs> right? I'm sure it didn't. I'm looking here. Uh, the highest qualifying Toyota last night. Wow. I'm having to scroll. Yeah, way down. Yeah. Martin Truex Jr. down there in 26. Yeah. way down. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the, the Toyota effect could have something to do with it. But, you know, the only thing that worries me with Jimmy is, I want to say it was two years ago. It was like the year the Biff got in. Yeah, so that was 2022, yeah. I think. It was one of those where it was the first year with the next-gen car, and guys were losing the draft a lot. And whoever got in when the second duel, it was one of those where he was way off the draft, but someone else ended up losing it too. And he linked up with another car and like passed the guy at the last second. Yeah, barely got in. Yeah. yeah. I don't even remember who those – I want to say it was Kaz Grala got in over somebody else that – I don't even think that was the Biff specifically, but it was the year he ran it for NY Racing. So what worries me with Jimmy is kind of just – if it's one of those where the pack doesn't stay together, if they do do green flag pit stops at what would probably be a little round lap 20, they actually usually come in a little early on these. And if it splits the field up, I think that's maybe a way Jimmy gets hosed. I would hate to see it. I want to see Jimmy in, but that, that worries me a little bit. Yeah, and, and you have a point on that because uh, a lot of times they'll run up, they'll run tight and they'll come in a pit, the Ford's a pit, the Chevy's a pit, the Toyota's a pit. And somebody misses it just a little bit, you get out on the road, you get back out on the track, and you miss that pack just a little bit, and you break up into three distinct packs, then it really spreads out the racetrack. You really don't know how much that means until you're down here and see how big the place is, right? But um, if you get too spread out, then you won't get a caution, nothing happens. But, you know, um, 
you know, like I said, you, you make a mistake on pit road, something other than the talent and the driver occurs, and that can ruin your chance. Even if you have a fast car, you could, he, you know, he could have a real fast car, but get stuck in the back, and there you go. Yeah, especially with the smaller packs. So let's move on to Sunday and the Great American Race. Um, there's a lot of guys who have never won this thing. Now, obviously, we could have a repeat winner. We could have Denny Hamlin go out and win his fourth. God, please don't let that happen. We could have Joey win it again. Please don't let that happen. But there's a handful of guys in this field. Oh, we're, sorry about that. What were you about to say? No, I was just agreeing with you on those last two counts. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of guys in this field. Let's look at Brad Keselowski. Active winning a super speedway driver with seven. Hasn't won at Daytona since 2016. Your guy, Chase Elliott, three super speedway wins, never won the Daytona 500. Kyle Busch will be running in his 20th speed weeks. It's actually his 19th Daytona 500 because the year he broke his legs. He's a solid super speedway racer. My guy, William Byron, three super speedway wins, no Daytona 500. If somebody who has never won this race is going to win it on Sunday, who's it going to be? Out of that group that you said, other than a newer driver breaking for, breaking through and getting a first win, which happens on quite a few occasions, and you know you look back on the front row of Michael McDowell up there. I mean, who knows? I mean, he was the first time winner a couple of years ago, won the race. Uh, but out of those that you called, I think uh, running for Richard Childress Racing, uh, Kyle Busch, and what would be interesting if Kyle Busch actually won it Sunday, Monday, whenever it was, see the reaction of the crowd. Used to years ago, everybody boo and throw beer cans, but I'm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't have a lot of cheers. Last year, he actually won the Daytona 500, but they had extra extra laps, so it was a 502 or whatever, so he lost it in the in overtime. But uh, watch out for Kyle Busch, no question. You know, the interesting thing about Kyle, and I, I want your just personal take on this, because I used to not like Kyle either. I thought when he drove the five car for Henrik, he was kind of a jerk. I honestly think when he went over to Gibbs, you know, Coach Gibbs kind of cleaned up his act, but I think as NASCAR fans, we subconsciously still disliked him. But now that he's oh, over yeah. at RCR, it's almost like he's a, there's a degree of separation it. from his <laughs> butthead days, and we've all kind of yeah. – I don't hate Kyle as much as I used to. What about you? I, I agree. I agree. We hate other people now, but you're right. It happened to me with – over the time, I almost felt sorry for Jeff Gordon at one point in time, and I got over that real quick and <laughs> – I used to hate Kurt Busch, and then after a while, I started. You know, Kurt was okay. You used to hate Jimmy Johnson. Well, Jimmy Johnson's okay, you know. And and it's and it happens every now and then. You know, guys like that hang out long enough. Like I said, if last year he almost won, I said, you know, this actually be all right, you know. And of course, us old Earnhardt fans that love, you know, Richard Childress racing, that that would kind of be a that'd be a fun thing to see if Richard get another win at Daytona 500. Of course, yeah, it definitely would. Last time they won was. Oh, I remember the year. It was whenever AD won, whenever Austin Dillon won his. I don't, I, was that 2016, yes. 2017? Yes. And, and all right. So that had been 20 years. If I'm not mistaken, it had been 20, no, couple, if you, there have been two times that the race has been held on the anniversary of Earnhardt's death. Okay. And Richard Childress has won both of them. All right. So he won one with Harvick. Yeah. Right. Because Harvick yeah, edged then, out yeah. Mark Martin in like 06 yeah, yeah. or went, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, his grandson. That's right. Yep. And um, at both times, and if you figure, and you know, those are the, you know, he's won the five hundred three times, and there's a bunch of threes and sixes in there. You know, if you go through and do the math, right on, you know, Earnhardt's, you know, twenty times not winning, or sixty times not winning a race, twenty times at the Daytona five hundred, it was three. Yeah. 
you know, three years later, obviously he gets killed. Three years after that, his son wins. Three years after that, uh, Richard Childress wins again. So there's a, there's a lot of similarities between all that. I don't know if there's any this year, but um, but it'd be nice to see uh, Richard Childress get another one. And, and if that's, you know, with Cowboys, that'd be a great storyline, right? I, I definitely think it would, and, and you did a little deeper dive on the facts there than I did, so I appreciate it. That's Hey, that's the part of being a sports fan, right, is, is like is finding <laughs> yeah, those trends right. so we know who to bet on. Not that we can do that in North Carolina yeah. yet. All right, so <laughs> we won't keep you too long, but we appreciate you joining us. But right well, hey, before we let you tonight? go. Who's going to win tonight in, in basketball? I mean, our seed, we need to win over Wichita State. If we can win tonight. That means we just swept Temple and Wichita State in the same year. And I don't, you know, it says a lot about kind of what the direction of where the Pirates are going and the direction of some of the other teams in the league are going. And I think that bodes well for our future. But, God, it would be great to get this win tonight, Tulane on Sunday, and then Rice is gettable on the road. you got Memphis coming back in here after that. I mean, we got a chance to really get some things going. Hopefully the Pirates that made some baskets the other night on the road can and show up this evening and, and get a win. That that would be a big deal. It would be. I, I feel good about tonight. Tulane worries me. They can put up some points. Yeah. They scored 98 yeah. times this year. That worries me. But, all right, real quick yeah. before we let you go, who wins on Sunday, and who is your preseason championship pick, and how does your boy Chase Elliott end up this year? Well, that that's, that's easy. It's Chase and Chase. Or the only thing I would say is who wins on Sunday. Sunday would be somebody that I have in our pool that we just draw on Sunday morning. <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> that, hey, my last trip to the 500, the I, I drew Austin Cindric <laughs> and first career win as a rookie. So last time I was at the 500, I, hopefully I can pass a good look on to you. <laughs> that's uh, that, that's exactly right. But I think I think Chase Elliott's going to have a good year this year in the championship points. You know, of course, I say he's going to win because I'm going to pull for him. But I, I th- you know, after last year not winning in the whole situation. It's a terrible year all around. They flush out of their system. Watch out for, for him this year. I, I think he gets it done. If anybody can do it, it's him and Alan Gustafson over there at Hendrick right. Motorsports. So, all right, Shook. Well, thanks for joining us, and uh, have a great weekend, man. All right. You do, you do a hell of a lot better job on this than Patrick does. By well, the way. Patrick is Go a fake NASCAR fan. Exactly, exactly right. <laughs> all right. Take all it right, easy, Shook. I'll talk to you. Right. <laughs> See you. Bye. Alrighty, there he is, Scott Shook. We thank you for joining. Uh, we thank him for joining us. And uh, sorry to all you non NASCAR fans, we had to do one NASCAR segment with the season starting tonight. As points will actually be given out at the dual races. So that will wrap it up for our second segment. On the other side of this timeout, we will be joined by Brian Mull to talk pirate basketball both tonight and this weekend, as well as other big stuff going on this weekend around the world of college hoops. We have you covered with all the ECU news and beyond that you need for the drive home. The Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back into our Wednesday edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. College basketball going on tonight is the East Carolina Pirates will be trying to sweep the season series with the Wichita State Shockers. We are joined by basketball and golf writer Brian Mull. How's it going, Brian? It's going well. Hope everybody's uh, having enjoying this uh, beautiful weather. Nice day and a uh, big weekend of college basketball ahead. It really is, and we're going to start talking about the Pirates, and then we're going to delve into this weekend of college basketball because it is going to be exciting. But the Pirates here, they um, we were talking about it on one of our other shows this week. They're kind of like a toxic relationship. You're ready to break up with them. 
they've beat you down, and then they put up 84 points and win by 11, wire to wire, at UTSA. It's... I don't know how to explain it, but they've got us all back, and they host the Wichita State Shockers tonight. What do you think the Pirates have to do, Brian, to uh, sweep the season series against a Wichita State team that I think is much improved from when the Pirates saw them back on January 24th? They need to uh, maintain that offensive flow and magic that they found out in San Antonio, uh, knocking down 13 threes, uh, surpassing the 80-point mark for the first time in what feels like forever. Uh, Jaden Walker with just an incredible line there with 13 assists. I mean, just don't see that in college basketball. Uh, so certainly uh, the ball was, was moving well, 21 assists on 33 field goals. I mean, all those things show me that they, they ran their offense, got a lot of really good shots, and got contributions from four guys in double figures with, of course, the monster night from uh, Brandon Johnson. So I think, uh, yeah, this is a game at home against another team in in the middle to the bottom of, of the American uh, rebuilding program. With a, you know, Paul Mills, I think will do a terrific job there. But the roster is a little limited. Um, ECU, like you said, with some great momentum coming back. Like this is a game. This is a stretch of the season where like they they need to string a few together. They need to show that uh, they've turned a corner and they can win three or four. And and the offense. You know, the defense has been pretty consistent, but I think the offense has got to, they've got to keep doing what they were doing the other night. And as Brian mentioned, the next actually three games are against teams below the Pirates in the standings, which they are a perfect 5-0 and against this year. Teams ranked below them in the standings. However, Tulane might be a little bit of a weird one. We're going to get to them in a second, but let's talk about Wichita State for a moment. You know, this is a team who has had a rough year, but it seems to me when I watch them play, Brian, and feel free to step in and, and totally disregard my statement if I'm wrong, but there's a lot of juniors in this lineup. When you look at their top three scores, they're all upperclassmen in this team despite struggling maybe in the win-loss column seems to be still very veteran-led and still in a spot where they don't seem to be turning on each other and I think they are playing better basketball than they were a month month and a half ago I would agree with you Um, I know they are disappointed and hungry for a win but when you kind of go back and and break down their last uh, three weeks or a month or so I mean they lost by nine at FAU on the road. They lost by four at USF on the road. Uh, they went to overtime with FAU at home in their most recent game. They played Memphis to a two-point game, and they beat SMU. So this is a team that uh, feels like they can they can beat anyone. Um, they are a little limited in their in their roster makeup. Uh, they've got some pretty good size, and like you said, some veteran guys, but they don't really have that alpha guard uh, that you'd love to have with four or five minutes left in a tight conference game who, who can really just impose his will onto the floor and their depth is uh you know what you would expect from from a first-year coach who was essentially cobbling a roster together together into the summer so uh uh you know these conference games i don't care what conference uh you can, you can start at the 30th ranked conference and go all the way up to the big 12 or the acc you if you play poorly you can lose and I think we're seeing more of that. Uh, yes, somebody's got to finish at the bottom of the standings, and maybe. But the, the the line between being two and ten and six and six in a conference at this point in the season is, is very thin. And uh, you can't take anybody for granted. Everybody uh, has been able to kind of, uh, you know, have a, enough talent through the portal to be competitive and uh, kind of execute for the Pirates. And, and and that starts on the offensive end. I'd like to see them come out and get off to a start i think they've had some slow starts at home and uh this is a game where they should be able to get a comfortable working margin in the first 10 minutes 
Let's hope they do. You don't want to drop one at home to a team you've already defeated on the road. But as the weekend goes on, they will host the Tulane Green Wave. This is a team that's 4-7 and seven in league play. So by looking at that stat, you would favor the Pirates. However, this Tulane team, much like UTSA, but I think in a better version of UTSA, has all the offensive firepower that you can ask for in a conference like the American. This is a team that's put up 100 twice this year. They've put up 90-plus eight times this year, and in all of their wins, they've scored at least 81 points. Do you think the Pirates will have to win in a shootout in order to beat Tulane, or is there some hope that this Mike Schwartz suffocate you for 40 minutes defense can cause the Pirates and the Tulane Green Wave to get into a low-scoring slugfest because I think that's probably the Pirates' only chance at winning that basketball game on Sunday. Yeah, they say uh, styles make fights, and this is a classic battle of tempo. You have uh, Tulane, who wants to play uh, out in the open court, uh, muddy up the game with, with kind of that matchup zone press that they'll throw at you, get some turnovers, get some runouts. Get, like you said, get the game up into the 80s, if, if not the 90s. They're comfortable. Then you have ECU, which is 13th in the in the American in tempo. Uh, certainly Mike Schwartz, a defensive-oriented guy, uh, focused on, on that end, wants to make it a half-court game, force you to play five-on-five five against his set defense. Feels like they can do that and rebound the basketball. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, uh, ECU would be fine with this game being in the 60s or, or low 70s, and uh, Tulane wants wants much more than that. So uh, whoever can dictate the pace, you would like to think on your court. It's easier to slow a fast team down than, than speed a slow team up. And as long as ECU can uh, avoid turnovers, I think that'll be the key. Uh, that's really where Tulane gets a lot of its offense. They have, they have very good guards. They have very good finishers in transition. And if, if you start throwing the ball around against them a little bit and just giving them freebies, their confidence gets up and, and those three-pointers start falling. So uh, that'll be a, a big big test for the backcourt because you can score against them in the half court. They're not an imposing defensive team in the half court whatsoever, so you've just got to give yourself those opportunities. Yeah, I definitely think slowing them down would help. The only thing that worries me when you're you know a slower-paced team is if you get down – it can be mm-hmm. sometimes hard to speed up that other team, even if you feel like you're better than them. Take it back to the 2018 first round of the NCAA tournament where um, Virginia, one of the slowest t- teams in the country, was down to University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and just didn't have the pace to get back. Now I think ECU is a lot more faster than the 2018 Virginia Cavaliers, but this is a game I think, Brian, if you turn that ball over early – and get down. I just don't know if the Pirates can claw their way back. They've proved they can do it sometimes this year, but against a team like Tulane, I think if they get down early, they're, they're host. No, I agree. And, and this is a Tulane team that when you look at their offensive numbers, uh, they're, they're quite impressive. I mean, they're top 25 in the nation in effective field goal percentage, turnover percentage, uh, getting to the free throw line, fifth in that category. They make two-pointers at an extremely high rate. And again, they're the 10th fastest team in, in the in the nation on an adjusted tempo basis. So uh, they, they're, they can score, uh, but you've just got to muddy it up. When you look at some of the games uh, that, you know, where they've struggled, um, they've been slowed down to a sixties, mid sixties, high sixties pace and, and not been as comfortable in that type of setting. Well, let's hope the Pirates can make it three in a row with a pair of victories this weekend. We'll move on to elsewhere in college basketball. We'll stay in the state of North Carolina. 
with the University of North Carolina. This is a team, Brian, who's lost three of their last five. When you look at one of those two wins, it was an ugly one down in Coral Gables. Now, however, their other win coming at home against the Duke Blue Devils was probably the best game the North Carolina Tar Heels have played all season. If you're a Carolina fan, are you hitting the panic button right now, or is this just part of hey, it's college basketball, you're late in league play, you're a little tired, you're a little banged up, same as everybody else, and this is just the nature of the business. It really is. Like I, I try not to overreact this time of the year. I mean, certainly you want to have a feeling that your team is getting better in February, and you, you don't uh, – I mean, you want to avoid any type of long losing streak or, or shooting slump or anything of that nature. But when, when you break down the, the – Look, Miami's always a tough game. I don't care where they're ranked. Jim Laranega is a terrific coach. They they play with such freedom on offense and uh, you know on the road. That's always going to be a tough game. And then when you look at what Syracuse did, uh, they just shot you know they shot sixty percent. Yet Carolina still had an opportunity late in that game to to pull it out. Uh, they just fumbled away a couple of possessions and, and didn't get the right shots. A couple of threes rimmed out. So it, it really, as well as Syracuse played for 38 minutes in that basketball game, Carolina still could have stolen it. So I, I don't think that's one you worry about too much. And, and you also have to watch this time of the year. Like, there's a lot of desperate, hungry teams. I mean, there's a lot of teams who, who are in the middle of these conferences who, who've not been consistently able to put it together, but certainly have the talent, as we saw from Syracuse's backcourt. And they're desperate. They're hungry. They know that they have to reel off some wins and not just wins, but quality quad a, you know, quad one tier a teams and and boost that resume to have any type of opportunity to get selected to the 68 man field. So uh, it's, um, you know, motivation. It's not always who you play, but sometimes when you play them. And uh, I think they just caught a a very dialed in Syracuse team that was looking for a marquee victory in uh, Altry's first season. And and they got it. Well, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball here since, College baseball season is less than 24 hours away, but you're talking about those teams on the bubble and how these teams in these major conferences need those wins to portray themselves ahead of the rest of the field. One of the conferences no one is talking about right now is the Mountain West. This is going to be somewhere from a three- to five-bit league, it looks like. Are these teams really that good? I know New Mexico is pretty solid. Obviously, San Diego State was in the Final Four just a year ago, but you know, are these teams ready to go on and potentially make a run in the tournament when you look at teams such as Nevada, Boise State? Because, I mean, Colorado State obviously got all the preseason hype and they have not been one of the teams at the top of the league. I mean, I, I, like I said, I think there's they're probably going to have a team playing in that first four and probably going to be a multi-bid league this year. Yeah, they certainly are. They, they did a nice job. If you compare, like, the Atlantic 10, uh, which considers itself comparable to the Mountain West, uh, the Mountain West is in position, like you said, to get multiple bids, maybe three or four teams. Atlantic 10 is looking like it could very possibly be a one-bid league. And the, really the difference is the Mountain West performed better in November and December, which is when you build your conference resume together. They they picked up a lot of quality non-conference wins. They scheduled well and competed well in the games that they lost. And the, the committee generally shows favor on that as well. Up until last year, the Mountain West had always underperformed in the NCAA tournament. And then certainly San Diego State threw all of that out the window with a tremendous run last year. And if I had to put my finger on why, I think sometimes the the guard play in that league is maybe not quite at the standard that you would hope 
to have that you need to advance through the bracket. They have solid players. They have really good teams, well-coached, good systems. But, you know, you get in that matchup, you, you just sometimes the plays don't matter. It's about the players. And, um, you know, they, they, they'll have a little bit to prove to me still as a, as a whole, as a conference. It wouldn't surprise me if any of those teams – Made a run to the Sweet 16 with the right draw, but um, look, it's a great league, uh, and, and it's a league that's that's probably benefiting somewhat from the the, the demise of the Pac-12. Yeah, for sure, and uh, obviously not as strong of an ACC as we've seen in the last years ever, or as last years as well. But hey, like you said, sometimes it ain't about the X's and O's; it's about the Jimmies and the Joes, and we will see if any of those teams can make a deep run come March. I want to talk about the marquee game next on Saturday. you got the number one UConn Huskies hosting Marquette. UConn coming into this one 23-2. They haven't lost since their first league game against Seton Hall, and their only other loss is in Allen Fieldhouse, where teams always seem to struggle. This Marquette team, they've won eight in a row, but Brian, they've just been holding serve against teams they should beat. I know I would never count out a Shaka smart coached ball club, but are the Golden Eagles of Marquette truthfully ready to go into Hartford and make this a game? I know they had some big wins early in the season. They beat Kansas. They've beat Texas. But this UConn team, they won a national championship a year ago, and they're looking like the front runners again here in 2024. Yeah, UConn's the scariest team in the country. I don't think there's a lot of scary teams. There's a lot of good teams, and there's a lot of teams that when they're on and making shots can look very good. But night in, night out, UConn just has so many different ways to get it done. They're so solid on both ends. They're big. They're veteran. Tristan Newton's, I mean, an All-American uh, triple-double machine. And I think this will be a very tough spot for, for Marquette. You know, it's surprising. These teams, they play twice, but they've, they've yet to play. Uh, here we are, February 7th. And to talk about backloading the, the schedule with some marquee games. This will be a tough one for Marquette. Uh, I, I love what Shaka's done with this team. Uh, you know, a lot of continuity, a lot of freedom on offense, really joyful way to play basketball. It's fun to watch them. Nothing's real scripted. Uh, they certainly play hard on defense and try to turn you over. But this UConn team, man, they're just tough. They're, you know, they're proven, they're experienced, and, uh, you know, Danny, Danny Hurley is, is, a, is a terrific coach. I mean, maybe an elite coach now with, with so many other coaches having retired. And they they are the real deal. I think Marquette has a good shot, though, on uh, March 6th in the next the last game of the regular season when they have to host the Huskies in Milwaukee. All righty, Brian. Well, we thank you for joining us. Any other games you would like to highlight this weekend? Or there's not really much going on tonight, honestly. I think there's three ranked games. Anybody you want to highlight else? Anyone else, excuse me, you want to highlight before we let you get out of here? Yeah, there's an interesting game on Saturday in the SEC. Uh, Kentucky, the Big Blue, uh, which has had a little bit of a rocky uh, run here of late, heads down to Auburn, to the Plains. Bo Jackson, Charles Barkley, they're all going to be in the house. Game day is going to be there, I think. And Auburn is 13-0 at home. And not only are they 13-0, they've won every game by at least 10 points which in the last couple of weeks includes blowouts of Alabama and a 40-point thrashing of nationally ranked South Carolina last night. So uh, they in that building, they are special. And uh, Kentucky, I still think, is a Final Four caliber team. They just haven't quite put it all together yet. But um, that'll be a fascinating matchup to me. It should be a high-level game. Yeah, we'll see if Kentucky comes in a little ticked off. They did lose at home to a bubble team in the Gonzaga Bulldogs over this past weekend. Well, that'll do it for our segment here. Appreciate you joining us, uh, Brian. 
yeah, everybody, uh, thanks a lot, and everybody have a great weekend. All right, thanks to Brian for joining us. There he goes. Um, we're going to hit on, we got a little time left, boys, so we're going to hit on one kind of, really not a lot of breaking news out of the NFL today, uh, or out of sports today, other than the fact that out of the NFL, the Seahawks will not release Geno Smith. If they released him before tomorrow, um, they could save $12.7 million, but they are going to stick with him, which means either, hey, he's the starter, or B, they're going to draft somebody, and uh, obviously they won't get one of the big three having the, sorry, I originally had it in front of me, 16th pick in the draft, but they could get a Bo Nix type at that spot. Um, but hey, they might just be wrong with Geno altogether, so we'll see. They got some good receiving core. Uh, Dom, what are your thoughts on uh, Seattle running with Geno and sticking with him? I think they should take their money. I think they need to start Drew Locke or draft someone. I don't know what they want to do outside of Geno, but I think they should get their money. It it does end up being a big deal. I, he played two less games than he did the season before where he won Comeback Player of the Year. Uh, through 600 yes, less yards this season, 10 less touchdowns, two less interceptions, I guess that is a little bit better, but 10 less touchdowns, I don't think he's – I think he had a, a really good season, and he's an average quarterback. That's my take on it. So you just think he keeps him in purgatory? Is that the reason you yeah, want to move on? There's nothing. He's not taking him past the first round. He might get in the wild card. And it's, 49ers are in that division. They're still going to be one of the top dogs. I don't think they're they're beating them in there. And I think the Rams are better than them with Geno as well. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I'm not opposed to them keeping him. I, I just don't see a clear path if you do move on from him in front of them right now. Just with that 16th pick, you're too far back to trade for one of the top dogs. But hey, you know, you could have somebody fall to you at 16 that you really like, or you get somebody in the second round. But um, what are your thoughts on this, William? I, on the other hand, believe that they should stick with Geno Smith and add weapons around him. I believe that he is not an elite quarterback, but he's good enough to get the job done and can possibly be their franchise quarterback for a couple years to come. I believe that they have good wide receiver weapons with DK Metcalf and Njigba, and they might just need to get a few more line pieces or another receiver that can play in the backfield and go out in the slot. But he's a quarterback that's able to make plays using both his legs and his arm and I want to see what they can do with him in the future if they do choose to keep him. So my thing, and I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying there, William. I'm just wondering if they keep him, though. If, to Dom's point, they don't really ever make a run, and then you're at a point where you've built a good team around him, and then he retires, and then you're just kind of stuck because you're too bad to be bad. But, hey, then you could look at, you know, if there's a potential free agent coming on the market at that time. Obviously, if they were to cut him, which they're not, then that you'd have to free up cap space to sign Kirk Cousins this year. It'll be interesting to see what happens with him at 36 no. years old. Oh, yeah, Dom. Dom, what are your thoughts on Kirk Cousins? Since I got Dom back on here, we got a minute and a half left. Dom, what's, what's going on with you, boy, Kirk? I think Kirk is re-signing with us, and he's going to take a, a bit of a pay cut, not a massive pay cut. He'll make $37.5 million a year instead of the $45 million that the reports have came out and said. And then we will re-sign Justin Jefferson, and we'll still trade up and draft either Drake May or Jaden Daniels, whoever's available, to sit under Kirk Cousins just like Mahomes sat under Alex Smith. And we're going to have the next guy with the best receiver in the league and it's a few years from now, we're going to be in those NFC Championship games. Just wait and see. Wow, trading up from 11 to the top three. Yeah, I don't know about that. That's it's a gonna, long trade-up. It's going to happen. All right. Lots to talk about it. The Vikings fan himself, the grandson of a former Viking player. You know, he knows more than we do So about his team. 
All righty. Well, that will uh, wrap it up here for us on the Wednesday edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. We want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. Thanks to Brian Mole for joining us. Thanks to Scott Shook for his annual visit on the Day of the Duels. Thanks to Dom as well as William. Stay tuned right here on 94.3 The Game 630 network coverage for East Carolina and Wichita State ahead of that 7 o'clock tip. And also be sure to tune in all weekend for Pirate Baseball as well as that basketball game on Sunday. Have a great rest of your evening, Pirate Nation.